they were talking about Caleb. And this is two words that he used. Let's go. When you hear those words, what comes to mind? Let's go. I guess it depends on where we're going, doesn't it? It's let's go. We're going to Disney World. Hey, let's go. I'm excited about that. Let's go to Disney World. If it's let's go to the dentist, I'm not so excited about that. And, and if you're a, a sports fan, especially if you're a Virginia Tech football sports fan, you really like that phrase, let's go, and you're there in the stadium because that means what comes next is Hokies. So it's let's go, and the other side's Hokies, and let's go, Hokies, the whole stadium shouting. You love to hear those words, let's go. Now, if there's times in life we hear those words, we're not sure if we want to go. It's do we want to, we don't want to, we do want to, we don't want to, especially I can imagine, I've never done it, but if you were told to jump out of a plane, you know, when you hear the words, let's go, uh, I'm sure at that moment there's a hesitation. Uh, yeah, that's why I got in this plane was to do this, but I'm not so sure right now. And so in life, that's how those words can affect us. It can be a, a shout of, yes, let's go. I've been waiting for this vacation for months. Or it can be, no, I don't want to go. I don't want to go to the dentist. Or it can be a moment of hesitation. Am I going to do it or am I not going to do it? Caleb's words, let's go, are found in Numbers 13. Where Caleb says to the people, let's go. Up now and take possession of the land because we can certainly conquer it. Now, in Joshua 14 is where we're spending most of our time this morning, if you want to turn there in your Bibles. And there Joshua tells his story. He gives his testimony of his life. And I'm telling you it today with his words to inspire us to have the faith that Caleb had. The first part of the story of him aren't his words, it's a description of him in Joshua 14, 6, that says the descendants of Judah approached Joshua at Gilgal, and Caleb, son of Jephneah, the Kenizzite, said to him. Now usually when we read a verse like this, we stumble saying it like I just did. <laughs> we ignore it because it has words that are difficult to pronounce. And we ignore it because we have no idea who Caleb's dad is. And we have no idea who the Kenizzites are. And frankly, we don't care who they are. So we just skip over it. To be honest with you, often in the Bible you can just do that. <laughs> because you don't know a whole lot about those names. But sometimes they give us insight into a person. And in this case it does. Although it is debated what a Kenizzite really is, it's possible that this refers to a clan or a tribe of people that are referred to in Abraham's day in the book of Genesis, who lived in the land of Canaan. And what's interesting is that, of course, these people were not Israelites. They were not descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Uh, these people might be called pagan or idol worshipers, but they weren't God's people. Yet, this tribe, at some point, decided to follow, to join God's people. And Caleb, even though his ancestry is one of, of pagans and idol worshipers, he is here part of the tribe of Judah. 
the very tribe of Jesus himself. So this tells us something very important about Caleb and about anybody. Is that it doesn't matter what our family history is. What matters is whether we're a child of God and his family through faith. That's what's more important. Jesus even told the Pharisees who said, Oh, we've got it made. Because Abraham's our great, 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 whatever grandfather. Because we're in Abraham's family. Oh, we've got it made. Oh, we're close to God. We'll go to heaven with God. That's all you need. And Jesus told them no. In fact, Jesus called them children of Satan. Because their heart was far from God. They had no relationship with God because they had no faith in God. So the wonderful news to you and to me, to this whole entire planet, is it doesn't matter what our family ancestry is. You may have scoundrels in your family. You may have uh, evil people in your family. You may have uh, people who are anti-Christian, the worst sinners. What does it matter? What matters is your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior. And with that faith, you are part of the family of God. And that's what matters. Because you can come from the best family. And the day will come when you will die and leave this earth. And you'll leave your family behind. Then it won't matter that you were in a good family on this earth. All that will matter is whether you're in the family of God. To spend it with that family for eternity with the Lord. So remember that. That's great news for all of us. It was true for Caleb. But let us listen to Caleb. He tells us his story. He's speaking to Joshua. That's who the you is referred to in this verse. He says to Joshua, You know what the Lord promised Moses, the man of God at Kadesh Barnea, about you and me. I was 40 years old when Moses, the Lord's servant, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to scout the land, and I brought back an honest report. Caleb is referring to a time in Israel's history after God had delivered them from Egypt. The Pharaoh was dead. Egypt was in the rearview mirror. The people had been redeemed from slavery. And now they are going into the land of Canaan, which was the land that God promised he was going to give them. We hear the term promised land. That's because God promised it to them. It said, he did so right here. Numbers 13.1, God says to Moses, Send men to scout the land of Canaan. I am giving to the Israelites. That's very important, those three words. God didn't say, this is the land that you might get if you're good enough. This is the land you might get if you're a strong enough warrior. This is the land you might get if you're victorious in battle. No, God says, I'm giving it to you. This is my gift to you. This is my promise to you. This is your land. And so, God wanted the people to see what the land was like that they were getting. So the spies went out, 12 of them, one from each of the 12 tribes. And they went from the southern part where Kadesh Barnea was all the way to the north, up and down through the land. They took 40 days to do it. And it was as advertised. The land was beautiful. The land was bountiful. They even brought back some of the fruit from the land. Big, large clusters of grapes. To show how bountiful this land was. Lush, beautiful. What a contrast to Egypt. Where they were slaves and where they were making bricks with straw and mud. 
this was going to be a land where they could thrive and they could be at home and raise families and farm and raise animals. It was beautiful. They use the metaphor, land flowing with milk and honey. I hear that and say, so what? That doesn't sound so great to me. But to them, that was a metaphor of abundance. They all agreed that that's how great the land was. They came back and said to Moses, we went into the land where you sent us. Indeed, it is flowing with milk and honey. And here is some of its fruit. A wonderful report about the land. And it tells us that all of God's gifts are good. All of his promises are good. God is not one who uh, gives sparingly. God doesn't give begrudgingly. God doesn't give just enough for you to get by. God gives in abundance. God gives to your overflowing with his blessing. God gives good gifts. He doesn't give lousy gifts. Uh, uh, God is the one who gives in this way. So be thankful for that, that every gift, in fact, every gift that's good, everything that's wonderful about life is from God. And he gives it in abundance, and he gave it to the Israelites. But that was only one part of the report. Because in addition to all of the abundance and the lushness and the fruitfulness of the land, there were also something else there. And Joshua tells us, my brothers who went with me caused the people to lose heart. But I followed the Lord my God completely. What did they do to cause the people to lose heart? They said this about the land. Notice this word, however, the land's great. However, the people living in the land are strong. And the cities are large and fortified. We also saw the descendants of Anak there. They, they went on to say, the men who went up with them responded, we can't attack the people because they are stronger than we are. This was the other part of the report. All this great stuff about the land also included the fact that there were people who were strong. People who had cities that had big walls around them that would be difficult to attack. That in fact there were people who were giants there. Anak was legendary for being tall and a giant. And so to have descendants of this man uh, means that there were people that were big warriors standing on top of their city walls. Stopping the Israelites from coming in there and enjoying the land. That was also part of the report. Uh, uh, Caleb didn't disagree with that. Caleb knew what was there. All of them knew what was there, the good and the bad. But the bad part of it caused ten of them to say, we can't go there. Uh, they're stronger than we are. We can't do it because we're so weak. We can't do it because these obstacles are in the way. But that's not what Caleb said. Caleb said the exact opposite. Caleb said, let's go. He said, let's go up now and take possession of the land because we can certainly conquer it. The land we passed through and explored is an extremely good land. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will bring us into this land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and give it to us. Only don't rebel against the Lord and don't be afraid of the people of the land, for we will devour them. 
Their protection has been removed from them. And the Lord is with us. Don't be afraid of them. See, Caleb didn't disagree that there were giants, that there were cities, that there was strong people there. He didn't disagree with that. In fact, it's interesting how he says it, that the people were afraid. In fact, they said, the giants are going to devour our children. Almost sounds like a fairy tale. <laughs> their children are going to go into the land and these big giants are going to eat them up. Caleb says, no, they're not going to, to devour us. We're going to devour them. Now, how was this possible? It's because Caleb was looking with the eyes of faith rather than simply the eyes in his head. You see, no one disagreed about how great the land was. No one disagreed about the giants and the cities. No one disagreed about that. But the people, other than Caleb and Joshua, they saw the obstacles. And they saw how weak they were. And that brought fear. The same is true with our lives personally, with our church life. It's true, it's real, that there are obstacles. In your life, you have struggles. In church life, we have struggles. It's hard for any church to make an impact in their community. Uh, people could care less about Jesus or about church. People are, we live in a society that's anti-Christian. Uh, Christians, we're often weak. We're lazy. Uh, we're sinners. So your life Church life, it does have obstacles and there are weaknesses. But there's a decision to make whether to be afraid of those or to see with the eyes of faith what God can do. Caleb solved the giants, but he didn't focus on them. He focused on what God promised. God promised, I'm giving you this land. Caleb saw how weak he was, but he didn't focus on that. He focused on the fact that God was with him. And because of that, he wasn't afraid. He was ready to go. Because he knew God would give him strength. He knew that God was with him. He knew that God had promised the land and he was going to defeat that, those cities, those giants, because he was a follower of God. You see, the eyes of faith always claim the promise of God, sees the promise of God, and acts in the power of God. That's what Caleb did. I want you to think about this. There were 12 spies. Ten of them were afraid. But unfortunately, they acted in the character of themselves and the rest of the Israelites. There were a people who had been delivered from Egypt, but all they did was constantly complain. They complained about not having enough food. They complained about not having enough water. They complained about having lousy leaders. It didn't matter what God did for them, it wasn't enough. It didn't matter what God did for them, it wasn't soon enough. It didn't matter what God provided for them, uh, it wasn't the right thing. This is who they were. They despised God. They disobeyed God. They tested God. 
And so it's no surprise that the Israelites were that way, that ten of the leaders gave a report that showed how all of them, their attitude was toward God. But God said about Caleb, his attitude was different. Caleb was obedient, trusting, reverent, loyal to God, and he followed God. All of you, uh, how many of you know uh, uh, someone named Caleb or someone named Joshua? Yes, I even see some hands here. Good, look at that. Hands going up everywhere. How many of you know anybody named Shemayu, Shaphat, Egel, Palti, Gadiel, Gadi, Amiel, Sether, Nabi, or Giuel? I wonder, is that in the baby book name? Was it Brady and Laura when you were looking for baby names? <laughs> I don't think that's a coincidence. Now we look at those ten names and we say, well, gosh, no wonder we don't name our kids. They sound ugly. They're awful names. They uh, don't roll off the tongue. They're, you can't pronounce them. But I think that's just because we've never named anybody that since these ten were named that. I mean, uh, if there was... Someone in the Bible who had great faith who had the name Palti. We probably have lots of Paltis running around. So it's not so much how bad the names are, it's how bad the characters are. These ten men, because they led that whole nation astray, those ten God killed. And he said to that generation, you're going to die too. Maybe these ten might have been the fortunate ones. They were killed immediately. The rest of that generation had to wander around for another 38 years, 40 years in total, until they all died. God said of their faithlessness, you're dead. You're not going to have the land I promised to you because you didn't want to take that gift. God had given them the gift and they wouldn't take it. God said, you don't want it, I'm taking it back. They had to wander around and suffer. I, I've always imagined it being a miserable existence. I mean, they were in a desert. God gave them manna every day, so they had something to eat. But it was the same food every day. In fact, that's what, one of the things they complained about. You would too, I guess, if you had the same thing every day. They didn't want that. They wanted something different. I mean, they were fed. They were taken care of by God. In fact, their clothes didn't even wear out in 40 years. I mean, God took care of them. But the whole reason they were wandering around was to watch one after another after another die. I think maybe the younger generation was counting and waiting for that last guy to die so then they could be over and they could go into the promised land. This was their punishment. But Caleb and Joshua, they were the only two out of that whole generation to actually go into the land. Even Moses didn't get to go because how he disobeyed God in another incident later on. Joshua, excuse me, Caleb said, I follow the Lord my God completely. And it's true that godly character flows from a strong relationship with God with strong faith. Now, that's not the end of the story. The next part of the story I find even more Amazing. Joshua continues his testimony. 
On that day Moses swore to me, The land where you have set foot will be an inheritance for you and your descendants forever, because you have followed the Lord my God completely. As you see, now Caleb keeps speaking, The Lord has kept me alive these 45 years as he promised. Since the Lord spoke this word to Moses while Israel was journeying in the wilderness. Here I am today, 85 years old. I am still as strong today as I was the day Moses sent me out. My strength for battle and for daily tasks is now as it was then. Now give me this hill country the Lord promised me on that day. Because you heard then that the Anakim are there, as well as large fortified cities. Perhaps the Lord will be with me, and I will drive them out as the Lord promised. That's what Caleb did. Caleb drove out from there the three sons of Anak, Sheshai, Ahiman, and Talimai, descendants of Anak. From there he marched against the inhabitants of Deber, which used to be called Kirith Sephir. So uh, Caleb goes on to say this. He says, God promised me this land. And I am going to take it. He had to wait 45 years for God to give him what was promised. That's a long time to wait for a promise. But Caleb didn't give up. Didn't lose heart. He didn't think the promise was never going to come. He knew God promised God was going to deliver. But Caleb also says, not only, he didn't only have faith, he wanted to do something. Here he is 85 years old, and now he's ready to claim the promise. And he says, I, I, I feel just as strong. And I think that strength came from his faith. He felt like he was 40. He felt like he was a spring chicken. He was ready to fight. He was ready to go. When he was 40 years old, he saw that land and he said, let's go. God said, Caleb, you're going to have to wait. 45 years later, God said, it's time. Caleb said, let's go. He didn't say, oh, I'm too old now. You waited too long, God. I'm too weak now. You see, how his faith never wavered. His faith never got weak. And I think that's why he was still strong. He still had that motivation to do the impossible for God and do amazing things for God. I know as we get older, and I know I'm in, kind of in between. There's those of you older than me, those younger than me. That's why it's called middle-aged. Okay? I'm 52 years old. But I, I'm old enough to realize as I get older, my living is more in the past than it is in the future. You know, if we're talking about a football game, I'm past first quarter, second quarter, I'm past halftime, I'm already into the third quarter, maybe facing the fourth quarter. So you know, I can see the clock's running out. And so when the clock is running out, we naturally think about what we've done in the past. And we think about, you know, as a pastor, as, as a, a Christian, we look at what we've done for God. And we're tempted to think about all the great things God did in the past. And we, and we think about all the things that we got accomplished through us. 
You know, as I think about my ministry, I think about former churches. You know, the, when I was a youth pastor, those teenagers now are, you know, they have families and their children are teenagers now. So, you know, it's been a long time and a lot of things that have happened. And naturally want to say, I've done enough. It's time to retire. It's time to let someone else do it now. That's just natural. But Caleb didn't do that. Caleb at 85 didn't say, well, I'll let my son take care of it. I'll let my grandson take care of it. He said, I'm going to take care of it. I'm going to do it. And he did. Notice here in these verses, he, not only one giant, three giants he drove out. And he didn't stop there. He went to the next city and drove them out of there. And in fact, this is the great thing about y'all hearing the sermon the second time. Because I get comments from the first service. So I can make it better for you. Okay? <laughs> so I give credit where credit is due. Ish Freeman came to me and said, one of the other things that Caleb did, which I didn't mention in the first service, I'm telling you, was that Caleb was the only one who went into the land that he was supposed to take, and he took all of it and did not compromise. The other tribes, they went, the other leaders went, they got some of it, but then they wavered in their faith and they wavered in their commitment to God. They kind of liked the people God told them to drive out. They started marrying them. They started acting like them. Caleb didn't do that. God said, take the land, drive out everyone in the land. It's your land. You're my people. Don't marry those people. Don't act like those people. Caleb was the only one who did that. Again, showing even at 85 how he never stopped following God. So for you, for me, personally and as a church, this is my challenge this morning. Never stop believing God. Never stop following God. Never stop doing great things for God. Never come to a point in your life where you feel like, I'm done, I'm retired, I'm finished, let someone else do it, I've done enough. Continue to believe and to follow and to do. It's easy to say we have faith, but if we don't act on it, it's not really faith. That's what the book of James tells us. And so I don't want us to be Christians who say, I believe in Jesus, I believe in God, and then we don't do anything. Let's be Christians like Caleb who acted on what he believed. This sermon is really a two-part sermon. It's like those episodes where you get a cliffhanger at the end, you got to tune in next week. Now with streaming, though, you don't have to do that. See, it's completely different now. With streaming, you can watch the next episode, the next episode, the next episode. You can binge it all in one afternoon, and you see the whole season. Uh, you know, again, I'm middle-aged. We used to have to wait till next week to see the end of the story. So you'll have to wait till next week to hear the end of the story. But this is the story. We're at a great time here at Olive Ranch where I feel like we're at the point where we're like Caleb and Joshua we're looking at that promised land and it's time to go and so I want to share with you a little bit next week about how 
we're going to go and what we're going to do. And next week's going to be more about, well, I'll just share it next week. I think I'll just leave it that way. You have to come back next week and we'll talk about let's go. But I do want you to remember this challenge. Remember to never stop believing God. Never stop following God. Can we do that? Let's go to the hymn in prayer. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful this morning that you are with us, that you strengthen us, that you energize us. Father, I pray this morning that, that we feel the excitement that Caleb did when he saw the land, when he heard your promise, when he felt the strength that comes from your power and your presence. Father, I pray that we're ready to say, let's go. God, wherever you lead us, wherever you take us, whatever impossible things you want to do, let's go. Let's do it for you. Lord, I pray you give us that kind of faith. Lord, I pray today you would strengthen our faith, that you would encourage us, especially, Lord, if we are discouraged, if the obstacles and the giants are causing fear in our life. I pray, Lord, that you would open our eyes of faith to see that your presence is bigger than any obstacles. I pray that we would see your promise can sustain us through any circumstance. And I pray, Lord, that, that we would rely on your power to do the mighty and the impossible. Lord Jesus, I pray these things in your name. Amen. Stand with me, please. We're going to sing as we close our service. But it's just not a time of singing. It's a time of responding. God said something to you this morning. There's only one response to God. That's yes. So whatever he said to you this morning, you have to say yes to him. And however you have to do that, do that right now. If it's a prayer, if it's an action, if it's a person, if it's coming up here and asking for prayer or talking to me, then do that. If it's coming to him in salvation and faith in him, then today is your day of salvation. Every one of us, whether you walk an aisle, all of us must say yes to God this morning. If you feel like God hasn't said a thing to you, well, then that's what you need to do right now. Ask him. Tell me something, God. I need something. Do that right now. And listen to him speak. Let's sing. Let's respond this morning.
Uh...